You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. When I wake up in Baton Rouge after the accident with a tube in my throat to help me breathe and my eyes burning, I will begin to learn. I will learn that love is not always a loud parade of a thing. It can be strong and silent. It is not the throb of my name across a football field, but the low, tender call for me across a sterile room, a call from a person who knows they may never be heard, but chooses to speak anyway. It is not the presentation of shiny crowns and shiny roses. It is the table filled with wrinkled petals and dirty water, the flowers that people brought not knowing if I would ever wake to see them, It is not sitting on the sidelines in a nice sweater watching me blossom. It is sitting by my side, disheveled and barefaced, watching me wither. I will learn that love is one person becoming undone for another. It is being stripped of the protective armor we've worked hard to fashion for ourselves to become the armor for somebody else. It's standing naked and shivering before what scares us the most to honor what it is that we love the most. This is the love that will transform me. That's Ruthie Lindsay, speaker, podcast host, activist, and author of the memoir, There I Am. You know that expression, God doesn't give us more than we can handle? I've never liked that expression, and I don't really believe it. Some of us are given a lot, just the way it is, and it's up to us to decide whether we can handle it. 
Ruthie's story is one of such courage, the deepest reservoirs of courage, that serve to transform confounding pain and grief into something so bright it shines like a star. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. I grew up with older brothers on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and I had an older brother that basically helped raise me, who just absolutely, I was his, adored me. I never went a day without knowing that I was loved and adored. And, you know, my dad's eyes lit up when I would walk in the room. And I grew up on the land, which I was super extroverted. So there were parts of being out in the middle of nowhere that was really hard for me. I'd go to town at my friend's homes. I'm like, what I would do to be able to run next door and play with a friend, like that sounds like the dreamiest dreams. But I'm so grateful to have grown up in the middle of nowhere on this farm, like my dad plowing our garden with a mule and just freedom to run outside in the woods and in the creek all day long. I could run free and wild. And I think that's had such an impact on my life today, like my love for mother nature and how much she has become just really, she is my medicine, (laughs) you know? And I think that was a gift given to me from such a get-go. My dad loved the land so much. He loved working the land. And, you know, we ate out of our garden all summer long. And this was in South Louisiana, is that right? In South Louisiana, a tiny little town called St. Francisville. But we were <laughs> we were like 15 minutes outside of St. Francisville. So like the town's tiny with two red lights, but then we were 15 minutes away from that. Just, I mean, no neighbors, gravel road, you know. I was able to like jump in my dad's pickup truck in like fifth grade and drive it up and down the road. And I mean, we were just, we didn't own keys to our home didn't own them. And I thought that was totally normal. When we'd go on vacation, we always left the keys in our car. And I thought that's just what everyone did, you know? Tell me about your mother. We have gotten so much closer as I've gotten older. She was moved from New Orleans to the farm. It was not her dream. She was very much a city girl. And I think being out in the country was a bit difficult. And she had a really painful childhood. She was a child of alcoholics. Her mom died when she was very, very young. And her dad married someone who had been in the Holocaust. And so, of course, had her own issues and was also an alcoholic. And so my mom was brought up with a lot of dysfunction, but was so beautiful. I mean, my mom still, she's in her 70s and is just the most stunning woman. And so that at the time, especially back then, like, I mean, now too, but that really got her out, her beauty. And that's what she knew Um, That's what everyone told her she was about, you know? And I think that's such a disservice to 
all humans, but to a woman, because it's harder to process that there's so much more to us, <laughs> you know, when only praise you ever get is about how beautiful you are. And she is just, gosh, she's such an amazing human. And I, I feel so proud of her and to be her daughter because she's just been on such a massive healing journey. I think because of all the trauma that she grew up with, we've just gotten closer and closer as I've become an adult. I think I was a, a lot harder on her when I was younger because, you know, we're all just doing the best we can. And she, she didn't have a mom growing up. And what she was able to do with what she was given is pretty spectacular. But there was also a lot that was, was hard, you know, because she's human and she was hurt. And how did your mom and your father meet? My dad was going to school to become an educator in New Orleans and to make money. He was bartending at this like cool kid bar in New Orleans. Um, and he was just this larger than life presence. Mr. Extrovert knew everyone, very charming. And my mom was actually a flight attendant for Delta based in New Orleans. So she was very rarely at home. She was always flying all over the place. And they were in the 60s. I mean, wild. <laughs> They had a mutual friend that said they should meet and connected them. And so my mom said yes, which she was pursued by men all the time. I mean, all the time. And when he was getting her address to come pick her up, they literally lived in the same house. She lived in the basement apartment of this house that was broken into like three or four apartments. And he lived downstairs and they had different entrances. And because she always traveled, I mean, they never saw each other, but they lived in the same home in New Orleans. I can see like the movie version of this, right? Her coming in the front, his coming in the back. Exactly. And then she was pursued by so many that she just, I think she was just kind of like, whatever. And then one night, just being kind of a punk, she like brought a guy to the bar that he was bartending. And my dad just went straight up to him and shook his hand and bought him a drink and like was so unaffected by it. Like, I mean, also his pride, he would never let her know that he cared. And she started hanging out around the bar. And one night she said the shifting point for them was she saw my dad behind the bar get his eyes grow so big and just attack mode almost. And he jumped over the bar and went to the corner of the room. And there was this homeless guy that my dad loved that he was always feeding and taking care of. And I guess his pants had fallen down or some idiot had maybe pulled his pants down. And all these guys were drunk guys were sitting around like making fun of him. And my dad lost his mind and jumped over the bar and like pulled up the guy's pants and beat up the guys that were messing with him and kicked him out of the bar. And that was the turning point. She was like, that's the kind of man that I want to be with. And she fell in love with him that night. Ruthie grows up with her parents and her brothers on their patch of land, their farm in southern Louisiana. As she said, she could run free and wild. But then when she was 17, her life was changed forever in an instant. I pulled out on a major highway in front of an ambulance. And he hit me on my car door going 65 and broke three ribs and punctured my lungs. My lungs collapsed and my spleen ruptured. And then I broke the top two vertebrae in my neck, C1 and C2. But the ambulance driver actually knew how to 
stabilize my neck and not pull me out of the car, which I mean, you know, there's no telling what would have happened. I should not be here. I mean, literal 5% chance to live, 1% chance to walk. And they were able to get me to the hospital and had to pretty immediately put me on life support after they got the chest tube in and got my spleen removed. After I was in the hospital about a week and off life support, they went in and did my spinal cord surgery where they took bone from my hip and fused it into my neck. And back then they used wire in spinal cord fusion. So they wrapped C1 and C2 with wire with the bone. I was so lucky. I was young and healthy. I was a senior in high school. It happened on my dad's birthday. I left there with a big neck brace walking after about a month able to you know go back to school after Christmas you would never know anything had happened to me all my scars are hidden from clothing and my hair besides this neck brace I mean you'd never know and I at the time didn't really have any residual effects like I would get sore if I danced too much but outside of that I was very disassociated. I would talk about it in third person, like it had happened to someone else. And I'd always say, oh yeah, it was way harder on my family and my friends than it was on me. I don't even remember it. I was on life support and I love telling stories. So it was just a fun, crazy story to tell that I felt very disconnected from. So Ruthie dodged a pretty big bullet, right? She's fine. She goes on with her life. She's lucky. She's in one piece. She isn't traumatized. She's just going to move on and dance and grow and enter the next phase of her life. She doesn't go to therapy. I mean, why would she? She's lucky. She develops an eating disorder in college, her way of pushing the big feelings down with food, but she really doesn't think anything's wrong. There's this psychological term, dissociation. Ruthie will learn this later, in which we float away from ourselves numb ourselves so that we don't feel whatever it is that we're not ready to feel. Ruthie checks all the boxes. She graduates from college and gets married a few years later to a musician, a drummer she's mad for. I just believed everything was going to work out great. You know, we bought our little home. We had all these dreams, all these plans, all the children we were going to have, all the children we would adopt. And one day, about a year into our marriage, I was walking in front of the store and this crazy, gnarly shooting pain went up my neck. And I remember thinking either I'd been electrocuted (laughs) or been shot or, you know, was I struck by lightning? I mean, it was that severe and that debilitating. And it dropped me to my knees where I blacked out for a second. And then I was left with black inky spots in my eyes and horrible, horrible migraine and terrified me, of course. And I started going to see doctors because that shooting pain started happening regularly and more and more frequently. And every time I'd go to a doctor, they'd have me do an MRI. And when the film would come back, there'd be this black spot on the film. And they'd say, oh, that's just the magnet and the machine interacting with the wire from your spinal cord fusion um, because it would be directly where the surgery was. And they'd be like, everything around it looks fine. They started me on all these different therapies and nothing was helping. So then they started me on narcotics because, you know, I was not functional. I was in such severe pain. And of course, I just didn't want to hurt all the time. So I took anything they recommended. 
And that's just sent me on a very slowly darker and darker path. Like I stopped being able to function. I stopped showing up for work. I eventually had to quit working. Um, I was spending all of my time in bed. I stopped showing up as a partner, as a daughter, as a sister, as an aunt, as a friend. And that was the gist of my life for about four and a half years before we finally figured out what was causing the pain. I saw a new doctor. I'd seen so many at this point. And finally, this one doctor said, Ruthie, I can't tell you what's going on until I see what's underneath that spot. And I had never asked, you know, I didn't even think to ask. I definitely was not an advocate for myself at the time. And basically this $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires from my previous spinal cord fusion had broken and pierced into my brainstem. Okay, let's take a breath or two here. A wire had broken and pierced Ruthie's brainstem. I mean, which is like your reptile brain. If you're on life support, they're keeping your reptile brain alive. It's like the basic functions of organs and breathing. And I shouldn't be alive. I should not have brain functioning. I should not be speaking. I should not be walking. And I'm the only human that's ever had that, that we've confined any record of. So I'm so lucky <laughs> to be here. Mm. So lucky. It's, you know, not once but twice, right? Yeah. Had it not been an ambulance, you know, had there not been someone at the scene who knew what to do, had, after all those years, you not have found the doctor who just had the most practical, let's do an x-ray, you know, after all this. So this is around 2009 when you have the knowledge of, okay, now this is what's been causing this excruciating pain, and there's a surgery. I mean, I was essentially a ticking time bomb, right? They couldn't believe that I was <laughs> breathing, functioning, walking, alive. But insurance, it was a pre-existing injury, and so insurance wasn't going to cover it. And my dad, um, who we called Papa, he had told my mom and my godfather that he was going to come see me to tell me that he was going to sell our farm so I could have this surgery because insurance wouldn't cover it. And he, on his way to visit me, stopped to visit our Amish friends because we have Amish friends. <laughs> he did everything the way the Amish did with his garden. They had like raised his barns. He would get his animals from them. And he went every two to three months to just work the land with them. And they became like family to him. And it was just his heaven, his happy place. And we don't know exactly what happened because no one was with him at the moment, but we get a phone call that he ended up falling down a flight of stairs into the basement. It was just the craziest, just most freak accident. And I was already, you know, on so many drugs and so shut down and on the highest level of fentanyl patch and taking all the drugs. And I just, I had no capacity. I just shut down even more so. And I remember at the time, I did not know how to process hard things. So I just numbed myself even more. And I just remember, you know, I would pinch myself until I would bleed because I would just think like, this is a nightmare. Wake up, Ruthie, wake up. 
And now I can hear myself and the privilege and the thing that I'm about to say, but I would say, this can't be your life. This can't be your life. This isn't your life, which you're also saying this could be for someone else. You know, like this could be someone else's life, but it can't be mine. Mm. Not Ruthie Lindsay. This is a nightmare, Ruthie. Wake up, wake up. Ruthie is 29 years old. She's spent years in excruciating pain, unnecessarily so, and is facing terrifying, expensive surgery. And now her beloved dad, he dies of his injuries. He had been on his way to try to save her, literally to sell the farm to pay for her operation. Was this going to be more than she, than anyone, could handle? But then, because of the kind of guy her dad had been, his goodness and kindness comes back a hundredfold. The whole community rallies in support. It wasn't just a loss for me and my family. He walked in the door, I'm telling you, you would just want to be drawn into his presence because it felt so good. He made everyone feel like they were the most special person that he knew. And when he would leave us, when he'd leave my brothers and I when we were children, he'd say, I love you so much. Remember your manners and always look out for the little guy. And his whole thing is he wanted us to look out for the person that everyone else was missing and to enter in and like love them and serve them and honor them, not just notice, you know, and that's how he lived his life. What was so beautiful in that time was my godfather ended up setting up this medical fund in my daddy's honor so that I could have the surgery because he knew that that was his last wish. And checks and letters started coming in out the wazoo because people would be like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad sent me on my senior trip. Your dad bought our Christmas tree. Your dad paid my rent. Your dad got me into my first year of college. I mean, I'm telling you this list went on and on and we did not have much growing up it's not like we were this wealthy family at all my godfather who was the president of the bank is like yeah he would take out loans so that he could do these things and to help other people and that's just the kind of guy he was and so because he had shown up and loved so many people so well the full amount of money was raised for me to have this surgery and it's because of his love, his love for others and his love for me. I was able to do this life-altering surgery that I had to do to keep living. And it just felt like such a honor to be his daughter, you know? Like, it's such a privilege to be Lloyd Lindsay's daughter. Like, I feel so grateful to have gotten to be raised, to have chosen him. I am such a weirdo and I believe in past lives and all the things, but I really believe I'm like, I was so wise <laughs> to choose that man to be my father. What a gift, you know? You know, there's this moment in your book where you write about the last time that your father saw you, you were consumed with pain, living in your bed, hopeless. Yeah. And I so identified with that because my dad died when I was young as well. And I was a mess. I was a complete mess when he died. And I adored him. And there's, there's something about honoring a person by becoming the person. Yeah. You know, I've often written and often said that my dad became my North Star. 
and really has guided me ever since my asking him, what would you do? You know, how should I be? How do I get through this? And internalizing that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, 
it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As a result of all the years Ruthie had been on painkillers, her tolerance for medication was off the charts. It took a lot of heavy-duty drugs to make her even slightly comfortable. After she's successfully operated on at the Mayo Clinic, she's experiencing a whole new level of pain. The goal was to get her living, breathing, walking. But she's sustained severe nerve and spinal cord damage and feels a constant burning pain like half of her is on fire. She walks out of the hospital, a titanium screw where the broken wire had once been, holding that piece of wire in her hand. But then she goes straight back to bed and feels more hopeless than ever before. Ruthie spends years, years in that bed, in terrible pain, medicated, and then with C. diff, a nasty bacterial infection on top of everything else. Her husband's away on tour more often than not, and their marriage is coming apart. And she breaks. Finally, she has a breakdown and moves back with her family, this time into her brother's house. She needs help badly. They all know it. But instead of going away to a rehab, Ruthie decides that she's going to do it. She's going to wean herself off narcotics because she can't bear the thought of being sent away. What would people think? Speaking of the, um, you know, the what will people think sort of mentality, I'm thinking about, you know, in terms of family secrets, there really are two that I want to talk to you about. And one Mm -hmm. is that during some of this period of time, you had fixed up your house and you had this incredible knack with design and some photographs were taken and you made everything really gorgeous and like this beautiful interior and you became this Instagram darling, suddenly having this world of people seeing your beautiful life, everything perfect. And I think that that's such an important thing for people to hear and to think about because so much of social media, Instagram in particular, is about comparing our insides with other people's outsides or what we think other people's outsides are. Well, you know, the, the various personas that all of us in some way or another project on social media, even when we're trying not to. And so when was the moment that you sat down and opened your Instagram account and posted the truth and just like shared it in all of its complexity with the people who were following you? I actually didn't start my Instagram account until after I'd weaned myself off all the drugs. It took me about four months to get off all of the narcotics. And had my brother was like, you can lay in your bed and hurt, or you can get up and be with people and try to love people and serve people and live life and hurt. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to live and hurt, you know. And once that happened and, you know, my marriage did end, and I was like, if I get back in that bed, I will die. I will die. So Instagram 
it became a part of my like joy journal. It was like all I thought about on these drugs was my pain and my trauma. And as I weaned myself off the drugs, I was, you know, you can't feel joy and goodness if you don't allow yourself to feel darkness and pain and loss. You numb one, you numb the other. And so all of a sudden, I was able to see sunsets for the first time. I was able to see my nieces and nephews. I had not noticed them. Allowing myself to feel my pain gave me my eyes to actually see, to experience joy on this like profoundly different level. And so what ended up happening is I wasn't giving people the full context. I was only giving them the beauty, the joy, the goodness. I did not give them the context of my joy. And after about eight or nine months of Doing that, I had people that didn't know me following along on social media. And I started getting these messages of like, oh my gosh, I want your life. What a dream life. This is so beautiful. I wish that was my dining room. I wish, you know, all these crazy messages. And it made me nauseous because I'm like, I remember looking on social media and just, I would have paid so much money to have been able to be outside playing with the children that I was dreaming of having instead of just laying in my bed hurting all the time and out doing these adventures you know and the idea that I could conjure up those feelings in someone else without them getting the full picture made me so sad I grew up it's like my mom was a child of alcoholics you show up you you know everything could be chaos in the house but you walk outside and you smile and you be pretty and you be kind and you act like everything's in this tidy bow and this when the first time when I shared my message stared my story of what was really happening was really the first time that I had publicly ever shared how bad things were I wrote about my divorce. I wrote about C. diff and like shit in my pants all day, every day. I wrote about my husband leaving with a dear friend of mine. I wrote about losing my daddy. I wrote about chronic debilitating pain that I lived in with every day of my life. I wrote about being dependent on all those narcotics all of those years. And I remember when I had published thinking, oh my God, people are going to want to run for the hills. Like this is the opposite of what they've been following me for. And of course it does the exact opposite. I mean, my inbox just flooded with people because we're so longing to not feel alone. We're so longing to feel connection and authenticity. That's beautiful, Ruthie. And it it reminds me of this line from a poem of Elizabeth Barrett Browning's I can't quote the whole thing, but the phrase I'm thinking of is a gauntlet with a gift in it. And all gauntlets have gifts in them, but we don't necessarily find them. Yeah. We'll be right back. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. 
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's just after the Christmas holidays, in very early January 2019. Ruthie's become an Instagram sensation. The truth really does set her free. And she's writing what will become her memoir, There I Am. She's with her mom, And her mom asks Ruthie if she's ever done one of those DNA ancestry tests. Her mom muses about her old hippie days, both she and Ruthie's dad. She says she wouldn't be surprised if maybe there was another kid out there. No big deal, just like that. Ruthie didn't think anything more of it. It was presented in such a casual way. 
But then, a few months later, woo-woo alert, Ruthie speaks with an intuitive guide, and the guide says that she keeps seeing another brother. Ruthie still sort of files this away, but then, when she's back home in Nashville, she sees a healer she trusts and has gone to for years. Ruthie brings up the question, not expecting to hear anything, really. But then something happens that rocks her world. By the way, side note, woo-woo very often ends up being world-rocking. She goes, yes, Ruthie, you do. You have a missing brother. Your mom is very intuitive. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah. And I go, well, how am I going to find him? She goes, you don't have to. He's going to find you. And very soon. So about three weeks later, I get a message one morning on Facebook and it says, hi, Ruthie, my husband doesn't have Facebook. He recently matched with you on Ancestry and I believe he's your relative. And I'm like, oh my God, here it is. So I give her my number and tell her to have him call me. And I get a phone call and he said, "Um, hi, Ruthie, this is David McGee. Do you know why I'm calling? I go, because you're my brother. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, how did you know? I go, well, I've just been waiting for your call and I'm so excited. So when my dad was in college, he was like a sophomore or junior in college, like 19. David's mom was a senior in high school, went to LSU for a weekend, met my dad. They ended up hooking up. She went back home months later, found out she was pregnant back then, you know, if you're pregnant, you get sent away, especially in the South. So she got sent away to have this baby. No one knew about it. And he was adopted by this couple in Oxford, Mississippi. He was a professor at Ole Miss, which is where I went to college. And when he had his first son, he started looking for his parents. He wanted to find out, especially his dad. He hired two private detectives, looked for almost 27, 28 years and never found anything because it's a closed adoption state. And finally, so his family got together on the six year anniversary of his son's untimely passing. He had passed of an accidental overdose when he was 23 years old. He has two children, both have partners and babies and the whole family got together to celebrate William's life. And his wife was like, you know, you can't give up. I know you've been looking forever. She had made him spit into a tube also like two years before. I'm just going to sign into your ancestry account because who knows? Signs in, there's my name. She's like, there's a match and it's so high. It has to be your sister, but there's no profile, but there's this girl named Ruthie Lindsay. And his daughter-in-law goes, Ruthie Lindsay, I follow her on Instagram. I followed her for years. And he's like, no, slow down. I'm sure there's more than one. She's like, no, that is your sister. I know. And she pulls up my website and there's a video of my dad. David is the only one that looks like him. He's the only one that hunts and fishes and gardens. He does similar work. He works in education at Ole Miss. He is like this larger than life. I mean, it's the craziest where then it gets even crazier My full brother that I was raised with, every summer, he is the camp doctor at this summer camp called Camp Alpine for Boys. Well, David's daughter, um, my niece, 
grew up going to the sister camp that I also went to. And she was a counselor when my nieces were there and they all fell in love with her. Well, this summer in particular, she was the camp director at the boys camp. And my brother and his family were all there because he was the camp doctor. And they all just fell in love with her even more. My brother and my sister-in-law met her. She ended up getting really sick, having to go to the infirmary. My brother held her hair back while she vomited. And this is her uncle. This is in fact her her, uncle, her biological uncle. Yeah, uncle. Mm -hmm. Then a year, year or two later, she got married. She invited my brother and his family of eight. So on the sixth anniversary of the tragic loss of his son, David, who's been searching fruitlessly for years, is matched with someone named Ruthie Lindsay as a sister. His daughter-in-law is a fan of Ruthie's, follows her on Instagram. The coincidences abound. So many of those close relatives have known each other, crossed paths, shared parts of lives together without ever knowing they were kin. Last summer, everyone came down to the farm and got to be on this land where my nieces and nephews are the fourth generation to live there. And he got to see this land that my daddy plowed with his garden. And he got to see the land that his granddad loved more than anything. And it's just... It's just this full circle, you can't make this shit up, like beautiful gift that we are just so blown away by. I just, and the timing was perfect, just all of it. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking, I've heard so many stories in the last few years of families who make a discovery and someone picks up the phone and calls and says, I think we're related. The very first impulse that many, many people have in that situation is to feel threatened. You know, what do you want? You must want something. And I'm listening to your story, and it's all about love and an open-heartedness that then creates the beauty, allows for the beauty. You know, it's it's an open palm instead of a closed fist. It's an open heart instead of a shut-down heart. And it begets and begets the beauty that you're talking about and even that you're talking about in the way that so much pain, the loss of a child, and everything that you're talking about, Ruthie, is just really, really beautiful. It's hard to remember life without him now. Like, he is just such a treasure and such a gift. Remember what I said at the beginning about courage? Ruthie's story is really, at its core, about the courage to heal. And part of that healing is not wishing or willing any of it away. Here's Ruthie with the last word. I think if that first surgery, when I had my wreck, everything had been great from then on. If, you know, that second surgery, when they removed the wire, if that had fixed everything, quote unquote, and, you know, I didn't have the physical pain. um, If those things outside of me would have, quote unquote, cured me, I would have never woken up. I would have never had the breakdowns, which eventually led to the breakthroughs. I would never have gotten there had I been quote unquote cured. It took 
all the trauma, all the pain, all the loss, all the heartache, those experiences were the entryways, the entry points, the invitations for me to ultimately come home to myself. And when we do this healing work that we're all so deserving of, then we get to go out and be those mirrors, to be those safe containers, to be that light and that expansive, like you spoke of, abundant love, because there's always an abundance. There's always more. Every gift I have, I can freely release. It's all energy because there's always more. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer, and Bethann Macaluso is the executive producer. We'd also like to give a special thanks to Tyler Klang and Tristan McNeil. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, leave us a voicemail, and your story could appear on an upcoming episode. Our number is 1-888-SECRET-0. That's secret and then the number zero. You can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer and Facebook at facebook.com slash family secrets pod and Twitter at fam secrets pod. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.